Hey, welcome to episode nine of the Draft Champions podcast. I'm your host, Zach. I'm here, as always, with Mike. Um, you can find us at Zach Roto and Mike underscore Curland in no particular order. Uh, we're joined today by Matt Bodica. Matt's a highly regarded high-stakes fantasy baseball and football player. You can find him on Twitter at CTM Baseball, and he contributes also to The Athletic. Um, I saw Matt crushed it in 2019. Hey, Matt, if I asked you before the season started uh, last year, would you think that you had more first-place finishes than Stanton home runs? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I definitely would not. You'd take the under? I would have taken the under big time. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks for, uh, for coming on the show. How are you doing? Uh, thank, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, I really like what you guys are doing here and happy to be on. Great. So is there anything you wanted to talk about before we get started um, in terms of um, stuff that you do? I know we're going to talk about some recent news and notes. Um, anything in terms of like your um, um, the athletic or anything that you, um, any of your contributions? Yeah, no, uh, right after the Super Bowl, I believe the, the uh, draft kit will go live. Uh, for fantasy baseball, I have a starting pitcher preview in there. Uh, I'll write probably like an NFB series uh, during the preseason until season starts as well. And we should be kicking off a new podcast, uh, myself and DVR, uh, Derek Van Riper, that is. So I'm excited about that. And, you know, just every day is one day closer to uh, – the live events and the baseball season. So that's a good thing. Yeah, you're, pump, you're, pumping, you're pumping me up. <laughs> well, I've got to ask because I think, and I'm not just saying this to kiss ass, but you could take it as that if you wish. But I, it I is. Honestly, it definitely it, is kissing ass. It's about, to, it's about to be in a sense, but I'm genuinely curious. I think the athletic has become one of the gold standards. Like it really has as far as like content providers, like where people want to end up. How, how, how did you find yourself getting there? And what is it like to be a part of that team? Because it feels almost like really tight knit and a lot of big names, pretty much a, a lot of the industry Titans, so to speak. Well, I think first off the athletic, I think if you want to just talk about the site itself, I think it became what, you know, sports illustrated once was in the print industry mm-hmm. and they've taken that and put it on a platform where you can just have an app on your phone or, you know, pull it up on your computer you know, they've, you know, they got everything for you. If you, if you don't do fantasy, as far as beat writers in football, basketball, baseball, even hockey and all that, how I became a member of that team is uh, through Nando Defino, who runs the fantasy uh, part of the athletic. And he's a hell of a guy. I got to meet him a few years back and we became friends. We have a common friend in Chris Ficaro as well so it's just a friendship that i've had he gave me an opportunity to do uh you know radio little tv youtube when i was on uh, fntsy so you know opportunities it's about meeting people it's pretty much everything with life so you know get out there you know get yourself involved with something and meet people yeah i, remember, I got familiar with nando when he was on the cbs podcast he's, he's good stuff uh, yes, he, he's he's a fantastic person. That's what I, I when, when, he, when he left, I was like, what the hell, man? Because that was actually one of the first podcasts I ever listened to as well. Azer's done a good job hosting it, but I, I did have a th- like, I really had a thing, Fernando. Take that as you wish, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, CBS is one of my favorite ones as well. Uh, it's, it's, just, one that, it's like that. It, has, it just has, almost has a nostalgia feel to it because it's been the, one of the first ones I ever listened to. Well, I mean, what you guys are basically saying here is like, say CBS, whatever it is, I don't think you can listen to like too many people. 
regardless of the sport, if it's football or baseball, you have to have a core group of people that you listen to. Because at some point, if you just listen to everybody, it'll just become noise. So whoever you find comfortable with or you respect their opinion or their success in industry leagues or high state leagues, whatever it is, I, I think you have to have a, a close-knit group where you get your information and all that kind of stuff. That's just me because at some point I have to put the earmuffs on. All right, let's get to some news and notes here. So um, mm -hmm. first thing, we have Ozuna signing with the Braves. I'll pass on that. Next, we have uh, Jeter and Walker are inducted in the Hall of Fame. Eh, boring. Someone, uh, someone's shitting on the NFBC. Okay, that's news. Okay. <laughs> oh, here we go. Let's get to it. All right, for, I, I don't, I'm not going to really get too opinionated on this, but um, I just want to say that it started with a tweet from Bubba, and mm -hmm. personally, I don't see anything wrong with what he said at all. Um, no issues with it. I think like maybe there is a narrative, narrative out there. I don't think it's a popular narrative, but for, he is, he's entitled to think there's a narrative for sure, and uh, no, no issue with that. Personally, personally, like uh, I'm getting my, I'm playing the NFPC this year because of success in home leagues, like as Mike was talking about before we started recording. And um, I like to diversify, so I like to, like that's what I did before I, I joined a couple hundred dollar leagues. Now I can do a couple more NFPC, but I, I still can't afford the main event just because I could, but I just choose not to because I don't want to, I want to diversify. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Matt. Well, I mean, first off, the NFPC is more than just the main event. Uh, I want to address the, you know, the column that went up. And look, me and Bubba are, you know, we became very good friends on Twitter. I've been on his show uh, quite a few times. You know, not just talking fantasy, we've talked Game of Thrones. So I'm actually happy Bubba brought this up because, one, I think there is an undercurrent of anti, you know, NFBC out there. And it's not something you should be afraid of if you don't want to play it. Don't play it. I mean, I, I play in NFBC leagues. That's pretty much all I do now. I don't really, you know, I don't play in your league. You could be a great player. But what makes a great player was basically uh, a question that I posed because, you know, it just seems that if you have a, if you write articles for a site or you have a radio show or a podcast or you own a site or a service, you're automatically a great player. That's what I hear all the time. So I wanted to bring that up. I wanted to address the uh, anti-NFBC bias. And, you know, it's the other thing was that article that was written. It basically was slandering a person who was one of the founders of this industry, you know, was putting out magazines 30 years ago, has been involved with the, with the industry people and created the high stakes uh, that we know of as the NFBC and the NFFC. He's a fantastic person. He is a businessman. And if only the 1% were winning in the NFBC, they would have never survived uh, 17 years. And they're actually becoming more and more popular. So I wanted to address that. I'm not even going to go after the author. I don't have nothing to, you know, that's not my agenda here. But I want to say the NFBC is a fantastic community that I've made a lot of really good friends that, you know, we go to these live events in New York or Las Vegas. We hang out the Thursday night before when we're in Vegas, we have a blast too. So, you know, speak to what you know. That's probably the one thing that has pretty much, you know, 
annoyed the shit out of me the last few years is I hear a lot of people talking NFBC that don't even play it, don't understand it, but, you know, they have opinions on it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to say. Totally. Um, another thing that, uh, and you know what, I looked at that, I tried to pull up the article because I didn't read the entire thing and it's gone now. It's been taken down, I believe. Yes, which is, which is a good thing. It really is. And one thing I, I do want to mention too is the cost of the NFBC. And as you just mentioned, you're diversifying, you're playing in a, a few different other leagues. The first year in, I think it was 2012, when I joined the NFBC, I wanted to... I wanted something a little more challenging. I've been in a, had a Yahoo home league when I was living in LA. That's how I got involved with fantasy baseball. Uh, and I was doing well. I was, I was pretty much winning it almost every year. And I took that winnings and I did it two satellite leagues. I didn't play the main event that first year. Fortunately, I won one and I finished in second in the other. And then the next year I did an online main event and I played a couple of draft champions Luckily, I was able to cash in a couple of those dress champions, and I finished second in, in my uh, main event league. And I did the same thing the following year. This time, I went to a live NFBC event, and I was lucky enough again to uh, finish second in that league and cash in a couple of more draft champions. So I, I was building up a bankroll. I wasn't throwing thousands of dollars around recklessly and, you know, if you don't know what the NFBC is, then maybe you shouldn't be playing it. But, you know, if you don't know how to invest in stocks, you should hire someone to do that for you. You know, I don't talk about DFS because I don't play it. I think it's a great game, a great concept. But if I was to play it, you know, I would be following people who are successful, asking them for their advice. That's the route I would go. I wouldn't be saying, you know, it's just all these top guys that win and, you know, why bother? It's, you know. So that's what got me uh, really pissed off. I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And, you know, you can play satellite leagues, you know. The main event isn't even my favorite league. It's the most popular. It's their signature league. But, you know, I prefer the auction championships. And now I'm at a point where I can play in the high-stakes league. Under their definition of a high-stakes league, that's a $2,500 entry or up. Did I start doing that day one? No. You know, and you have to be successful. Winning a league in a 15-teamer is very hard, whether it's an industry league, a high-stakes league, or your home league. But if you are not consistently cashing or in, in that circle, then you know what? Maybe you're just not a great player. You could be – you could give great fantasy advice, like know how to put, you know, uh, player analysis down – or have uh, very good metrics, you know, there's people that are doing work that I can't do, you know, I'm very good at math, or what I used to know is math, and it propelled me on Wall Street, it's helped me in fantasy sports, but when I see people doing R squared and this, I am lost, I mean, look at what Alex Fast is doing, Alex Chamberlain are doing, I think it's great, I, I embrace it, do I use all the X stats as much as everybody else? No, I don't. Do I look at them? Yes, I do. I'm more of, say, the basic, I want to see your plate discipline. I want to see your strikeout percentage minus walk percentage. And, yes, then I'm going to go over to stat cast and stuff. But I'm going to look at that. I'm going to go to Brooks Baseball, especially for pitching for me. I think the most important thing. What are the people 
What is that pitcher throwing? Did he incorporate a new pitch? Addition by subtraction to me is one of the most valuable things you can see in a pitcher. Did he have three pitches? One of them was crap. He stopped throwing it. Look what happened with, uh, you know, Garrett Cole. When he scrapped the sinker, focused on the uh, four seam, and they added movement to it. You know, they changed the eye levels. You know, it was more horizontal. And Look, Garrett Cole had two uh, fantastic secondary pitches. But this guy, just two years ago, people forget. People didn't believe he was really ever going to come anywhere near his ex- draft day expectations. Uh, you know, with the Pirates once upon a time. So that's just my my little rant there. Be what you want to be. If you want to be the next Ron Chandler, be the next Ron Chandler. Don't worry about the NFBC. If you want to be a, a high-stakes player, be a high-stakes player. And start out with you can, you know, what's available to you. You don't have to jump in the main event or some crazy stuff. But know that if you do play the main event, a large portion of that entry fee is going towards the overall. If you don't know that, then that's, that's your first step to being lost. I think that point goes along with um, the point that you're trying to address on the cost of the NFBC. And the, and the cost is really related to the, the VIG or the rake that people are talking about. And I think when, they're, when, they, say, when they talk about the rake, they, it's, hard to, it's hard to talk about the rake because you don't, you don't, we don't have the transparency to know what's profit to them and what's covering their expenses. I think the more important to look at is the payout. So look at what you're getting. Not look, no, don't look at what the NFBC is taking. And in, in the auction DCs that you discussed that you said are your favorite ones, I just, I, um, I just looked at the payouts and it's an 80% payout um, for the auction DC. Um, and if you compare that to um, the draft champion leagues, they have a 67% payout. But like what you're saying, there's an overall prize. And if you look at the overall prize, it's approximately 73, 74 grand when you're paying out all the overall prizes. So what you're looking at here is that in both these contests, the, the, league, pay, the league payout is $1,500, but there's a difference. In, there's a $25 difference in the entrance fee, entry fee. So the DC is $375 higher. They're, they're, they're taking in $375 mm-hmm. more. So if you divide the total overall payout by that th- extra $375, the break-even scenario, so the, by what, what I mean by break-even is that you want to at least get an 80% payout in the $150 draft champions is 196 total leagues. Yeah, so right, no. now, right now, there's 61 leagues that have drafted. I think that includes the higher stakes, like 450 DCs. So we're pacing, uh, I don't know what we're pacing on. I don't, I don't know what the number of total DCs that were last year, but I know that it's growing substantially. Um, so I guess it's sort of like a paradox because you think to yourself, the more leagues I enter, the better chance I have winning. However, the more leagues you enter, the lower your ROI is. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing with draft champions for me. I, re- I played more uh, 150s this year than usually I do. I like to do one in November and maybe I'll do one like January just to get through. I look to play the 400 DC. And why is that? There's a reasoning for me. The draft champions have been a profitable source for me over the years. So say I do a super league, which is a $2,500 entry fee, and I do not cash in that super league, but I win that $400 draft champions. I put up $2,500 for the super. I put $400 up for the uh, draft champions, and I won three grand. So I actually turned a $100 profit. I didn't lose. One of the most important parts is not losing money. And you'll be able to continue to do it. You know, you you, you can't run a deficit in the NFBC or the NFFC because you will be 
it, it's its own elimination service. Unless you, you know, and there are probably a couple of people that can just have money to burn, but the majority of these people do not. They have families, they have jobs, you know. So just think of it that way. And so it's not even the, the auction uh, DCs. I do like the auction DCs, but the auction championship itself, which is, I think it's like $1,400. There's an overall prize of, say, 30 grand or something like that. If you win your league, you win seventy five hundred. I think second place is thirty four hundred, and third place, I think, is your entry free uh, price back. So I like that because it does have an overall component in it too. It's an auction that you're doing at a high level, so for me, that's very appealing. Right on. Okay, uh, do you want to you want to take a look at some of the leagues that we just we, well we mm-hmm. recently finished? One of them. Um, one of them, one of them, me and you were in the same. We were we were in a draft together, and, and that one's completed already. Um, I don't know if you want to take a look at that one quickly. And sure, just, uh, let's uh, go. Whatever you guys want to talk about, uh, you know. Mike, do you have the do you Mike do you have the draft in front of you, Mike? I have my email open. If that's what you're asking me. Okay, I think um, it, I think I included it in there. Right? You said review of two of current drafts, two of them, one complete below, and one we are currently in. I have the. I guess the one complete below is one I have. Okay, yeah, the one that we're currently in. We can we can talk. It hasn't there. It hasn't really gone that far. And it's actually been posted on the NFBC site. The first six rounds of it, I think the NFBC posted it. So, in this draft, um, there's a couple of people that we know in here. Weatherwax was in it. He he was uh, team four. I was in it. Matt was in it. And um, okay, so wait, are, are we doing the uh, online? Or are we doing the one we're currently doing? The the one, not the one we're currently doing. The one that's already complete. Let's just look at that one quickly. Uh, you're, you, that's the one you, talk, so, you took Soto first overall. You okay, were in the, what's the date on this one? I'll, I'll pull that one up. I will, that yeah. one is, um, I think it was January 19th or 20th. Okay. I got you. Yeah, you were okay. picked 12. Or, no, it would, it would have been the 1920. That, that I think it was the, the 18th, probably the 11th, I'll assume. Let's yeah, go. yeah. Sorry. I, definitely yeah. Not, that's, no, that's not too – that was definitely too soon for, for this. No one. problem. Yeah, all right. The, the one thing I noticed in this draft, and I, I was I was I was in the five slot. You were in the um, twelve slot. I noticed a lot of the. This was a very um, veteran heavy draft. A lot of the prospects fell, um, or younger players that, for example, Luzardo, um, fell um, uh, way below their typical ADP. So, in my team, I, I kept acquiring them just for the value that I was getting on them. Um, looking at your team, you also. You t- you took Nate Pearson at a point in this in this draft. Um, I'd imagine he fell too. But I noticed just that, that was an overarching theme of just prospects falling. And um, I, I think another thing that I've noticed is now the closers are starting to inch up the board um, versus uh, I've done a bunch of drafts before and they were they were going a lot later than they were before. So um, I, I want to look at your strategy here. Um, what I've what I've noticed actually you you don't tend to. You, the two drafts I've done with you, you don't tend to start with, you don't tend to get um, over anxious over stolen bases. Uh, I mean, look, right now, what I'm doing in these drafts, for me at least, is I'm trying out different things. That, for me, I think is the beauty of doing a 150, is I want to see and I want to challenge myself and maybe push some uh, different things. I, you know, because I want... How I draft come March in higher six leagues is going to be a lot different than what I'm doing right now. I'm basically, you know, trying out different things. Can I push pitching here? If I don't get speed right up top, 
where can I get it? You know, I, I want to be able to do that now in January and see if I can do it. And if I fail, okay, I know what I need to do. I, don't, I want to look at the board uh, and see maybe I should have taken that guy in the seventh round and, you know, not taken a pitcher here, whatever, you know, just a, just to make it, you know, you should be able to see where on certain picks you should have went a different way. So just so everyone uh, knows what, what we're looking at here, you took a team that started with Soto, Arenado, Xander Bogarts, and then in the fourth round you took Darvish and then Guerrero, Brandon, Brandon Woodruff, then Nelson Lamette and Zach Galen. That was your start. Now I, I've talked to a lot of people and a lot of people are stressing taking pitching early and, and focusing on stolen bases early. You did not do that in relation to a lot of the teams. So like you said, you wanted to assess, did it work? Did I, did I fail? How do you assess your team after the draft? Or do you have to wait, uh, or do you have to wait um, longer to see whether or not this worked or not? No, I, I think you can have an idea with your, what you're happy with. Like right now in the current draft we're doing, I, I'm push. I'm basically kind of punt in starting pitching, at least for me. I mean, I, if you, if you own the fantasy black book, I wrote a ch- NFBC chapter. And I basically stress how important it is for, to have starting pitching. And I think DeGrom or Cole are in, definitely in the top five players, uh, are worthy of a number one pick if that's how you want to do it, if that's how you want to set it up. But, you know, what are you doing? Are you playing one draft champion and that's it? Then you got to attack it a different way. So, I mean, I know – uh, from my, from my, what do you call it, 400 DCs, I have DeGrom in the first round as high as pick five. And I have no problem with that because I know I'm getting that base. Do I have to start chasing pitching? If you're picking, say, in, in the top three, everybody thinks picking top three is where you want to be. Yeah, that's great. But there's plenty of other spots I like too. I like seven. I like five. Uh, what are you getting on the return? It's, you know, just having that number one pick, how is that setting you up, say, at least for your first five rounds? And if you're not looking at it that way, where am I going to get my pitching? I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to the higher you go up in these uh, games and all that, where are you going to get your pitching? That's how you should be looking at the board. That's how you should be setting your KDS, saying, I can get this stud hitter in round one, and in round two and three, I like these pitchers or two, three, and four. I can get, say, a couple of these guys I have set up that I feel comfortable with. So that's, I mean, to me, really the way you should approach it. Well, in this particular draft, DeGrom and Cole went two and three um, overall. Okay. And I was, I, I ended up with Christian Yellick in the number five hole, which I was excited about. And I think, I think we had Toby, uh, Toby G, who's in the 14th spot on the, on our podcast. And we were discussing this exact, this exact draft. And he said, I think he set a new minimum pick on Sterling Marte and he did take Walker Bueller with the 14th overall pick. So he was very much focused on getting that pitcher early, getting that speed early in Sterling Marte, that, that, I guess, balanced speed guy, not like your VR or your Mondesi, but he wanted a guy like Marte and a little bit uh, to a lesser extent. He did not get, um, he did not get Tommy Pham who he loves in this draft as well. And he also focuses on um, JT Romuto in the fourth round. So he was really aggressive on pitching speed and catchers were uh, that looked like an, an opposite approach. They're just two diverging approaches that, that were taken um, in this draft with him and then you. Um, 
yeah, myself, no. I, I'm, I was sort of more in the middle, but no, no, nothing's right, nothing's wrong well, in my opinion. I mean, I, I believe you're a guy that likes uh, Castillo, right? That's you, right. So, I look, I think, look, I think the only thing holding Castillo back from being the, one of the best pitchers in this game is if, if that walk rate improves, he's going to be a phenomenal pitcher. I, I've been a fan of his the last couple of years. Uh, and you're going to make, you're going to have to make decisions. Because after, there's just like a handful of people, maybe a six pack of pitchers that I really want to start as my foundation piece. Yeah, there's other guys I like. But, you know, and if I had the choice, I, I want it to be DeGrom or Cole. And for me, DeGrom is that number one guy because I think it's just more secure. I think, you know, he's been at City Field. All this time, he's got, what, almost uh, 550 innings, a 220 ERA there. You basically know what you're going to get. You're going to sacrifice some strikeouts, maybe some wins. But, you know, I'm, I'm fine with Cole, too. But my point is, I think the way this draft went with DeGrom and Cole, two and three, you will see that in March. Uh, so don't be like, oh, my God, I can't believe they went there. Because we don't do it as – you know, when you set your parameters for the draft, you do what? Say maybe 35, uh, 65, or if you want to go real crazy, 32, 38, something like that. But you do get 50% of your points for pitching. Now, you do a lot of auctions. Would you um, – um, I did two of them last year, and I don't remember what – I don't remember the auction values, but would you would you, would you um, suspect Colin DeGrom go for perhaps the highest um, auction bids in the draft? Or I, 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 in my experience, pitchers usually the top pitchers usually go for about ten bucks less than the top hitters. Uh they're gonna go in 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 you know I think Cole definitely Cole's gonna go in that forty five dollar range at least in the NFBC because there's gonna once you get into it you you're gonna have to pay a price if you really want Garrett Cole other people are gonna want him as well like last year when I did the ultimate auction I had the uh, I was the first pick. So I threw out Jacob DeGrom at $40. And I almost had him at 40. For some reason, the the moderator just went on a tangent about something else after, I, after he told me he was ready. And it stood out there for a couple of minutes, which kind of pissed me off. Somebody did say 41. I said 42. And at the end of the season, that wound up being a very good investment. I, I'm not so concerned about, oh, this guy's you know, I gotta get value here, or I'm drafting him for his upside. If they don't return value to you, you got nothing. You know, you took a loss. It wasn't a value pick. So, you know, I'm not as concerned about I'm more concerned about in the beginning building my foundation. Hopefully it's a secure foundation. And then hoping I'm hitting on, you know, guys later on. But if you're gonna be in the market for a top end pitcher in the the grammar Cole, you have to be budgeting forty plus dollars for that. Maybe you'll get a Verlander or a Scherzer, uh, Bueller in that high thirty range, but those guys are going to go over forty. So, is that, so you, is your strategy? You don't have a strategy to not nominate the players that you want. I, I, I do both. I don't want it to just be. I mean, after a while, if you just start nominating players that you don't like, my strategy in that one, and why I'm bringing it up is, I wanted the grow. And I wanted to see if I could get him in that 40 to $42 range. And if I could, I was going to acquire him. And I knew what my foundation for pitching was. 
you know, if, if maybe if I don't nominate him there and some other guys go and I stop buying some other people, I, I can't afford the Grom leader. Or, you know, Scherzer went and everybody went, the Grom's that last guy, then you're going to pay even more. You, you At some point, you want to pay even more for certain players. You know, having the hammer is great, but at some point you're overpaying on guys, you know, and you better make sure you have a couple of studs. So what I what I did in some of those drafts, and let me know if you, if you use a strategy. That I, there's you draft twenty three positions, right? Before mm-hmm. it's twenty three, right? Yes, it's twenty three positions. So three hundred forty five. So three hundred forty five players that are that get drafted. So anything anyone really outside of your personal three fifty or consensus three fifty would really be drafted in the reserve rounds. So what I was doing was I was t- I was looking at people outside of three fifty that you know what like I see value in them. I think they're I think they're more than three. I think they're more. They're worth more than someone that's in a reserve round. So I started nominating those players and saying for a bucket, say, you know what? If somebody starts hammering at this person, they want it too. All the power to them. But I just got rid of someone. I just I just took a reserve player and moved it into the actual um, auction draft. I mean, look, if you really believe that that guy, you know, for a dollar, if if you want that guy, there's a chance you're not going to get him. But you know, you you should have say an idea of players that you think are going to go in that, you know, dollar to $3 that can really be profitable for you and make that determination as you're, as the auction's going, I don't go in there with a strict plan. I I just don't, it's not the way I do it. If there's somebody that I thought was a $35 player and he's at $28, I'm probably going to say 29. My, my, my philosophy is always to get two guys in the first round. And then I have in my head five to seven guys that are outside of the top 350 that I'm comfortable with having as a starter. Um, and I can spend a little bit more and, and go for that, go for that stud dud approach in the first round or maybe double up somewhere in one of those first couple rounds. And then I, I'm just because I have my sleepers and I'm willing to take a, an upside shot on. Yeah. I, I think look, here's the, here's the thing. If it works for you, then do it. I might do something that doesn't work for you or other people or somebody else does something that it just doesn't jive with me. Like when I'm doing it, I, I can't comprehend. I like to be, especially in an auction. I kind of like to be free. I have my guys. When, when we go live in March, I know who I want. Am I going to get every one of them? Absolutely not. But who are the other guys that I think can provide me those stats? If you just took the names off and look at the numbers, where's the where's my next pool? Which everybody wants the best players. Who are, your, who are your targets? Or do you want to, do you not want to uh, do you not share that? No, yet? look, I mean, as of right now, have I fully come up with my plan for March? Absolutely not. Uh, I mean, as far as pitching, I told you, I have no problem paying a top end price for the top two guys. Uh, I think Bryce Hopper is a fantastic buy this year. I know some people will say, you know, he's overrated and all that. I think it's year two in Philadelphia. Look at the numbers he put up last year. If, uh, you know, the batting average, you know, 260 is not really good, but can Bryce Hopper bat 275, 280, give you a 40, 100, 100, uh, steal you circa 15 bases? Yeah, I I think he could do that. Does he have even a higher upside? Yes. What's his downside? I, I don't think he's batting, you know, 240 again or whatever it was that year. I I really don't. So he's a player that, that I mean, I like. Uh, you know, what do you want to talk about? Guys that I like, you know, just up top 
or you know throughout i mean i can go well there's really there's really i guess um two things we can talk about uh, in, like we can talk about um your target or i guess another way to put it i don't know if this is this is sort of one and the same or like adp inefficiencies so uh, I noticed, I think it's sort of the same thing, targets and ADP inefficiencies, um, who you're, uh, because you said you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to capture that value. You put out a tweet about Tommy Listella, I saw. Yeah, I mean, and, Tommy. And you're looking at, just looking at depth charts and playing time, right, in, in these types of formats. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if roster resource is right or not, but I use that for the pitcher. But if Tommy Listella is on the strong side of a platoon with Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon behind him, uh, that seems like a, a pretty good gamble in, say, the 20th round or something like that. You know, what is your downside? What are you going to lose? So, you know, as of right now, when we're drafting, do it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that at that moment in time. Oh, wow. He was taken early in the draft that, I'm, that, we, that we completed early. He was taken in the 17th round. Okay, the 17th round. Okay, whatever. But even in the 17th round, he's got dual eligibility. If he doesn't hit is Tommy Listeller going to be the reason why you didn't win that draft champions? I don't think so. I think you're going to have, you know, if you're doing a draft champions, you're going to have other players there at positions and that you could plug in. And if you're really that worried, you can take a David Fletcher even later on, you know, if you think he's going to be the guy. But I, I think it's possibilities. What What is the upside? What is the downside to it? I don't think the downside is really going to negatively affect you. So some guys that I think have an inefficiency that I just value more than their ADP personally, it's a personal opinion, are Jose Ramirez, Josh Donaldson, Sano. Um, those, are the, those are the sort of the, a couple of guys in the early rounds that I, that I like for, the, for, their, for their draft price. Um, Mike, do you, have anyone, do you have any guys that you sort of uh, are targeting? Oh, hi. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> no, I've just been listening. Uh, I like, like a lot of Matt's points. As far as targets go, I mean, I wish I had my dra- – I don't have my drafts up ahead of me, so I think there's some good value to be had. Josh Bell went earlier in your draft, and I've seen him go in other drafts, but I've been liking his value. Jose Abreu just earlier rounds. Um, Machado with the multi-position eligibility, I think he's solid. I think he's a solid get. You go a little farther down, I'm just taking – like I said, I'm just looking for names at this point on your drafts because I don't have mine up. But I think Mark Kana is a good name, kind of like just so- like just quietly solid, nothing special, but – those are the types of guys that are never a problem to get on your roster in these formats. So, some of those guys are just. Uh, I think the masses aren't just, including myself, not confident in their playing time. Like, is kind of going to be? Is, is he going to have the role to him? Is he going to be an everyday sh- player? I don't see why not. He showed it in the second half of last year. There's some. There's some uh, changes in the underlying in the underlying numbers that suggest it's pretty legitimate. I think he's going to slot right into the middle of that lineup and offer you 25 and 250, which there's a place for that, you know, because that, that could be useful. I think Mancini is another name that's very, very overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked into him. I was talking about – I talked about him a little, a little bit on I, – I think it was, it was either with Bubba or something the other day. Bubba's a common theme in this podcast, by the way. And, oh, Bubba's uh, a great guy. He really is. And uh, But maybe it wasn't Bubba. It doesn't matter. Mancini is just overlooked. I think the dual positional eligibility, I think there's a high floor. And if you look at what he did last year, it matches up a lot with 2017 when he kind of had that little pseudo breakout in a sense. So 20 uh, with 2018 being the outlier out of the three at this point, you know, launch angle change or maybe more of a correction because it matched up with 2017 and with it came the high, the decent batting average. And it's, it's, 
it was his expected bang average lined up along with other metrics. He barreled the ball well, and all in all, just a solid overlooked player. That again, players I tend to go for players. I think there's just a lot of players that lack that flashy, you know, like the Lazardo, the Robert, those guys, or Robert, however you want to say his name. Those guys have that flash that oh, what if factor. For me, I'm okay passing on that for more well-known commodities that I know are going to play more times than not and give me a full season or potentially a full season of stats. So, Well, let's get back to another thing that uh, I believe Zach mentioned earlier about the prospects. I mean, you can draft the prospects in, in the draft champions format. That's fine. Uh, but, you know, you're going to need plate appearances and you're going to need innings pitched. And especially when you say you do like a, a main event and stuff like that, or even the Rotowire Online Championship, which is the 12-team kind of version of it. Uh, you can't draft too many prospects. And you really got to draft somebody that has a realistic chance of making an impact and getting called up early. Because if you just start drafting prospects, you know, you're going to have injuries. You're going to have to cut them at some point anyway. And the guys you're passing up on. So, look, I like to, you know, I like to – hone in on a couple of guys that I think really have an opportunity before the season that will either start with the team or say we'll have to sit for two weeks or be up early May that can make an impact. But like last year when I drafted uh, Pete Alonzo, Tatis, uh, you know, Paddock made the rotation. These are guys that I figured they're going to play pretty soon, even if they don't start on the on the team opening day, there's maybe, what, a, a two-week wait, a one-month wait, and stuff like that. When you start just getting too knee-deep into uh, prospects, it, it'll hurt you. And I took Nate Pearson, but I also took Matt Schumacher. I saw so that. I, I have, like, a, you know, what's the draft champions afford you to do? I have a whole laundry list of prospects. I got all the Detroit – I got Manning, Mize, and Tariq Skubal. Um and I got a bunch of other prospects too. Um, just very heavy, and then just trying new things, right? Mackenzie That's always Dorn. been your thing, though, Zach. You've it has. Been, like, so, like you can get away with that in shallower formats, especially if there's a waiver wire. In draft champions, in particular, you're playing, you're playing a really risky game because those guys, like we thought, for instance, um, wow, what's his name? Whitley. Last year yeah. was just be that guy mm-hmm. that came up. He was the one that Lizardo too. They were both, both yeah. They were both they were both being drafted rather aggressively because people expected them to be up sooner than later. Neither of which happened. One because of injury. One because of performance. With prospects, especially pitchers, there is so much roller coaster. Like you just know, don't know what you're gonna, wait, what's going to happen. Gore could be up day one if they want to do what they did with Paddock, but he could also be up for a cup of coffee. And their ADP, you're passing up on sh- more sure commodities. And that's why maybe I won't win the overall that way, but I have a better chance of winning my individual league t- passing up on them. So I think you're shooting, you're shooting for the stars, hoping to land on the moon, so to speak. I'm shooting for the sky and hoping to land on the moon, so to speak. Well, like, I mean, here, here's the thing. I, I, I just want to jump in a second. Like he's saying about taking these prospects. When you start getting into that round 24, 25, whatever it is and stuff, and there's guys like Rick Porcello that nobody wants. But Rick Porcello – He's going to throw 180 innings this year, most likely. Yeah. Strike out 180 batters. Like, he usually does that every year. Is the ERA good every year? Absolutely not. But now he's in, he's in the National League. He's pitching in City Field. There's a better chance. All he's got to do is pitch a four ERA or better, and that's a home run for you. If you get those innings, you get the strikeouts, and you get a four ERA or better. In that format, that's gold. 
That's a really good point. And I saw you took Michael Walker here too. It's a good point when he says it, but when I tell you that, you call me an idiot. <laughs> what the hell, Zach? No, I was saying you're an you idiot for drafting, idiot, drafting Michael yeah. Walker in a, like a shallow league with waivers. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, uh, I mean, that's why. Me, that's why I'm nominating the Michael Walker or the no. Do you see Michael or Porcello, Walker, and Tanaka? I don't want anything to do with those guys. Oh, in Tanaka, other words. you can keep him too. Yeah, but if you're nominating a Walker, you might get stuck with him. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Like Walker, I'm drafting in these draft champions and say the 37th round. <laughs> you know, that's just at some point. I know somebody's going to get hurt. It's the Mets, no less. I don't even know how much he's going to pitch, but you know, if he has that rotation spot. At some point in the season, I'm going to need guys to fill in that are maybe they're not the fifth starter, they're the sixth starter. I know everybody loves Austin Voigt, which I see the reason why. But if I don't get him and I get Joe Ross in the 36th round, who has a shot, you know what? Maybe Joe Ross doesn't do anything this year, but he's got a shot at being a part of that rotation. So we're getting deeper here now. Do you like? I'm looking at the the, the last ten rounds of the draft. Do you have any um, consistent targets, guys that you're like that you're continuously getting in the later rounds? And this might be a good uh, segue getting into the deep targets because all we're talking about is Bubba here. And I'm looking at your your last round pick, and this is a guy that Mike has been touting as well. Oh, uh, Bubba Starling. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean he's a guy that you know I think I got him on the 49th or the 50th round. Uh there's gonna be some. There's going to be some guys I'm going to look at if, you know, maybe I'll take a shot on a guy that probably won't get called up in one or two of these, but it's late enough, like after round 45, where if he comes up, say, for the month of September, I may need to use him. I mean, you see guys that do things for you in the month of September that you never thought you were going to count on. What's his name on the Angels? Matt Thiers is one of the reasons I won the ultimate auction. He hit two homers that last day. I had no my half half my roster on the hitting side was was done, but I had Matt Thias who I had to play. So I mean, I'll maybe take some shots on some guys that might not even come up this year. Uh, one year I took Jose Fernandez in the 49th round, and that worked out well. A lot of times it doesn't. It's it's a wasted pick. But around 47, uh I'll take that shot. I think you always remember the hits, but you don't. I definitely don't remember well, all the misses. Well, you have. should know that at that point, there's a good chance they're not going to be on your contributing to your team. A guy who's say a free agent, a Brad Miller, you know, he did some pretty good things last year. If he gets an opportunity to break camp with somebody, or you know, at some point is on a team, you know, say he starts in the minors, gets called up, he may be somebody I'd plug in if he has a couple of hot weeks. Two you know, guys that are going that are really low right now that I think can move up what they sign are one Taiwan Walker and two um, Brian Dozier. Uh yeah. I mean, those are guys. You know, if Dozier's in a spot, you know, say there's a team that needs a a veteran guy to plug in right now. They got a guy that's going to be coming up their second baseman in the future or whatever. You know, he's he's a veteran hitter that you know you don't want to count on these guys. Not yet, but I, I wonder if he can get a full time. I wonder if he can get a starting role somewhere. Look, yeah. he may, maybe it's just a team that's not in it that's going to play him right now. And if that happens, then you know, you you are going to need the at bats and the innings pitched to do well in, in the draft champions. You know, I was looking at the ADP and uh, roster resource, so I was comparing the two. And what I did was I sorted all the pitchers by ADP, and then I started plugging in SP one through SP five. And I'm seeing that a lot of 
SP2s on shitty teams are down in the 700s or 600s as, as you, you, you'd see some years. Um, so the one thing I wanted to look at is like those, those really late, like those late round targets for players that are going to get the playing time. And one thing that I wanted to focus on was Baltimore. Baltimore has a bunch of guys in the rotation that are top guys, two, three, four guys in the rotation in the, in the, the late, the late 600s or 700s. So um, Mike, do you have any thought? I, w- I want to ask Mike about this. Do you have any thoughts on like the Alex Cobb and, and like as like a 650th pick? I know he's coming off injury, but he did have some good years. And then they have a bunch of rookies that, and that's the other thing that like player uh, teams that have weak rotations, you can see a, a path to those rookies coming up. For example, Baltimore, um, to an extent, Kansas city, Kansas city has a really weak rotation. And the other thing I was looking at was um, I know I'm spitting out a bunch of information here, but Boston, their fifth, their fifth spot. I forget exactly. I forget the name right now. Martin Perez. Yeah. Like, I've drafted him before. I don't know. Is he gonna, like, is he a start? Like, I don't know. Like I could see, like for some reason I'm picturing Taiwan Walker signing with the Red Sox and you know what, if he signed with the Red Sox, would he be a pick in the top 300s or, 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 or uh, before 300? So Mike, I'll leave, uh, do, you wanna, do you have any comments on those uh, thoughts? Well, individual players, I think it's preference, but at the end of the day, man, if I can get myself 120 to 130, like what I feel like are sure innings, like my big target and guy I grabbed, I think in 49th, 50th round or close to that has been Stephen Brault. Just for the simple fact that he's pitching in the middle of the, of the Pirates rotation and it looks like there's a, a, a path to innings and innings are very valuable in this format because pitchers get hurt, period, end of discussion. You need filler innings. You need to chase wins, whatever it is, Ks, et cetera. Innings have value. As much as I hate Cobb, like I don't want Cobb on my teams. I can understand taking him. I'd rather have Porcello. I'm not sure what the ADP difference is there. Or like yeah, where is Porcello going? Porcello, I mean, I think I'd probably take him in like that 25th round. So a lot I mean, earlier. I may be off a round or two, you know, but, you know. I'm just thinking name. I'm just thinking of names that fill in. He's, I think Porcello is a higher-end pitcher as well, which – Purcell and high end don't usually go together anymore, but in this case it does. Um, regardless, though, I guess what I'm getting at is that give me some innings late, and I'm all about it. Regardless, I think I was before I forgot who was it Dean Kramer I was grabbing in a couple earlier leagues before he got bumped out of the the at least what roster resources sees at the starting lineup. Um, like I said, Stephen Brault was another name. Just again, I guess well, I keep reiterating innings are very important. One thing I will say, look, I think roster resources a very good uh, site and do very good work. But right now, I'm not putting so much into in January what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and one of the, like once you get past round 30, I want to get a lot of guys like Rowan Wick. I mean, Craig Kimball hasn't been good, really that good or that healthy uh, of late. So maybe he gets a shot at getting some saves. Or – Andrew Miller is a guy that I, I think his price has been fantastic. It's been past the 30th round, using the mid-30s. And if Seymour's if going back to the rotation, yeah, obviously everybody's saying it's going to be Gigi. But if they don't acquire somebody, I, I don't see how Andrew Miller doesn't get at least 10 saves. Interesting. You know. I think that's a good, that's a good segue to the, to the draft that we're currently in. We're currently around 10 as we speak. But you were saying that you don't put a – you can't put all your faith in roster resource being gospel. And, and we were alluding to this earlier. You just, your last pick was Miguel Sano and he slotted into to bat eighth according to roster resource. So 
Why did he go? Just, just as you say, he slotted into bat eighth according to roster resource, and I think right after Donaldson signed, they had Eddie Rosario slotted into bat eighth on roster resource. So just in the, a matter of a few days, it's changed. And that's not anything against them. It's just what do we really know right now? So I, do you want to, do you want to take a look? Wild. It's definitely a speculation. I agree, and um. I just, I just, I use it as a quick reference point just to. Yeah, no, honestly, I use it too. No, I use it like obviously in season or closer to the season. I totally understand. Like I'm, I'm with you. It's still early. It's their best guess. I, I would honestly say that their best guess is better than my personal best guess. But mm-hmm. it's, it's, it is like, like you said. There's, it's, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of question marks, and they're doing a hell of a job trying to keep up with the and answering our questions. No, they are, but, they are. And I want to say, I use it too. I look at it as well. Not like I don't look at it, and I'm not trying to say anything negative to it. I'm just saying I don't think they really know. And I think if you ask them, he would probably give you that similar. We're giving our best educated guesses, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what we all do at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes not as educated as other guesses, but we all try to give educated guesses. Yes. Do you, right, you want to take a look at the um, your pick so far in this draft, Matt? Oh, uh, sure. There's 150. I think this, yeah. you know. Yeah, it was, po- it was posted on NFBC, and I think um, it got posted by a couple people. So, yeah, I wanted to Yeah, I tweeted it out. I tweeted out my picks. Uh, pretty much I got the two pick. I went with Trout. I think it's my first Trout. Uh, I was happy to get that. Uh, at the end of the second round, it pretty much – I was looking at Marte, Meadows. I, I kind of like those guys. The options that were available to me, I knew the wraparound. I know, you know most people probably would have taken Aaron Judge. I think there's – other guys that fit the Aaron Judge, uh, what do you call, profile. He can be great. I don't think it's a bad pick. I went with Meadows there. Uh, somebody I got early on in November that I really haven't gotten. But I do like a lot of things that he delivers. I'm weary about the speed, though. You know, I don't know. He can go either way. He can steal 15 bases. He can steal five. You want me to continue on? Yeah, I, was yeah. for, I was waiting for Zach to, or somebody. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were just going to roll through your picks. And get, okay, get, real get, quick. Get your, yeah, real uh, quick. Third round, I went with Strasburg. Uh, I figured let me get a guy that I, I feel pretty good chance of getting that 180s. The biggest – I've always been a Strasburg fan. Uh, funny enough, last year I really didn't get him. He was going in that fifth round, which was a fantastic value. But one of the most telling things from last season, I believe it was Max Scherzer, said something about how he changed where he was, you know, I always, the problem with me in Strasburg was he kind of wilted under pressure. I don't want to say that. I, I, I want to take that back. But he's, when something went wrong, there's certain pitches you see, if a guy makes an error or he doesn't get that call, they can kind of go a different way. And I think last year uh, he was a different pitcher. So if he can get me around 180, 200 strikeouts, I thought at that point in time, it was a good time to grab at least one pitcher. So I went that route. Mancada, uh, I mean, Eloy's a guy maybe I've been taking in this range or taking a second pitcher. Uh, I wanted some Mancada. I think there's really a lot to like. 24, 25 years old. I forget what season it is. But I think he's making a lot of improvements. He just crushes the ball when he hits it. So uh, I thought that was a good investment. I got my first Bo Bichette share here. I've usually been uh, playing around with pitching in this round, or as you know, Ramon Laureano is another guy here. 
But I, I did want to get a Boba Shet here. Uh, I wanted to try and push the pitching see as far as I could go back. Then at the end of the round, uh, then I, I took Paxton here. Look, we've I'm a big Paxton guy, but we've all come to realize it's going to be that 150 range. But that's probably a good 150 innings you can get out of this guy with a lot of wins. He, you know, I – I felt bad when he got that knee injury in May. It kind of affected him. He had a 10-start stretch where, I mean, he was just money. He was an ace. So, you know, with the Yankees, with that bullpen, he's got to give you six, and you're pretty much gold. And then I went Donaldson, Hoskins, and Sano. I, I just wanted to load up on the power here. Hoskins is a guy I really like. I think at that price, uh, he did get – he hurt the hand or the finger – the last couple of months was just a train wreck for him. Uh, I was never, I've never owned Hoskins in the past, but this year I seem to own a lot of them. Paxton is a guy. Paxton is a guy I'm coming around on of the names you were mentioning. I mean, it's hard to fault any pick through the first ten rounds, but Paxton I feel like is being underappreciated because of the lack of innings. But these days, you throw 150 solid innings, you can fill in the blanks later. Yeah, no, there is that opportunity to do it. Uh, I think Woodruff went right before him. I have, a, I have a, quite a few shares of him as well. Yes. So you look at the sixth <laughs> round. I mean, I thought, let's look at the sixth round. I mean, Syndergaard, uh, I like Syndergaard. I tweeted out uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, his first five seasons are up through age 27. Him and Garrett Cole were pretty much similar pitchers. Uh, Syndergaard had an even better strikeout rate. Cole's strikeout rate was even worse. And I think, you know, he needs some tweaks here or there. Needs to finish off hitters better when ahead of the count. It's a very frustrating thing. But, you know, him I really like. Bauer, I think Bauer's going to give you the innings, give you the strikeouts. You're hoping you can get that, you know, 370 to 380. But he's consistently been a, a four or above ERA guy. But I, I think at his price this year, he's worth a shot. I took I, I was the one who took Bauer, and I started with three. I started with four hitters just okay. because Kettle yeah. Marte fell um, more than I expected it, uh, him to. And I, I I took Glasnow in the fifth and Bauer in the sixth. And I thought Glasnow's ceiling with his ratios, like he's a high upside guy with Bauer's floor for his I guess the innings mm-hmm. that he's going to give you in the K's. I like that. I like that combo. I, but see, that's how you have to think. Uh, especially if you're going to start off with a guy like Glass now as your first pitcher off the board. You need a Bauer type that's going to give you the innings. Even a Jose Barrios, who, I mean, you really have to predict him at around 380. You can't be get, saying he's going to pitch to a 350 ERA or less this year. Can he do it? Yes. He if, you know, everything worked out and perfect world. But he's pretty much consistently been that 380 guy the last couple of seasons. Exactly. Barrios was my my fallback plan there. Mm -hmm. But he does give you the innings, and that's important. It really is extremely important. Yeah, because because of Glasnow, I I wasn't really considering Woodruff or Paxton, who came off the board after Barrios. Those were the four pitchers that came off. And I know you took Paxton, but just just for the innings innings, um, that I needed, I I chose to go. I was going to go with a Bauer or Barrios there. Yeah, no, I think that was a uh, shrewd move on your part. So what I've been doing in this draft, I've been I I, I made a tool for the first time. I never really did. I never really looked at projections or uh, in in draft analysis of the like how many stats you're getting for each category and comparing that to other teams. But I said, you know what, I'm going to try it for the first time during this draft. So I plugged in all the teams in a spreadsheet. I used Steamer. 
uh, get a V look up and I, it's going to shoot up the, the standings. So after, after nine rounds, I have the standings here. You're projected to be in first place despite not even having a closer. But you see, I, I don't, I don't do, I know a lot of people do it this way. I know a lot of people use uh Roto lab, which is very good for auctions. I think, uh, Roto wires, you know, on the iPad is just an amazing interface. For me, I'm going to draft players I like, good players that I, I have an idea in my head what stats they're going to give me. And then I usually know when to fill in the blanks with the pitching. Like, most of the time, I'm going to have probably three pitchers and a closer, three starters and a closer within 10 rounds. That's it. That makes, me feel, like that makes me feel better because I, I sort of did it. I just sort of winged it. And I sort of uh, felt my way through the draft. And a lot of, I know a lot of people do this. So I figured this is the first time I've ever tried this. I usually just uh, like look at my team and I say, okay, I know that I don't have enough speed. I'll well, take look, that or power. If you find that, if you find by doing this, it helps you, then by all means, do it. I'm, gonna, I'm trying it. I'm going to see what yeah. happens. So, um, Mike, do you, Mike, do you have any, do you have any, like, um, we have Matt here. Do you have anything you want, you want to pick his brain about or ask him? Uh, because I, I'm, I've exhausted everything that I had on the agenda. Um, I know we don't, we're trying to keep this, um, somewhat short compared to our typical ones. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, honestly, it's just been kind of fun to, I, I honestly didn't mind not talking for the first time in my life because it was, it was interesting to hear his thought processes and, uh, Overall, honestly, if I could bother you for one thing, is just what is your like way of going about coming up with your own player valuations? Like, I love hearing people's ideas and processes behind it. Not, I don't need to hear your intricate details, but just an overall idea of what do you value more? So, like, you mentioned plate discipline a little bit earlier and stuff like that, and going down the. I, I, I see. I'm not even sure if we did this off the air. That's why it's like, I know yeah. we talked about it a little bit or not. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I want to reiterate it. Maybe I want to give other people a chance to hear it. Spoiler, we did talk about, I don't know, 10 or so minutes before we got started. So, yeah, um, no, I mean, the best piece of advice that I've ever heard was from Lindy Hinkleman, who said when he stopped listening to everybody else and trusted what he saw or what he thought. I mean, I try and watch as much baseball as possible. You know, I think that just makes you better. And, you know, sometimes your eyes can deceive you. And that's why you got fan graphs and all these other wonderful sites to go and look at the data and stuff. But I think you have to have an idea of, in your mind, what, what you think a player can do. And then when you pull up, say, Steamer, or if you use uh, Masters Bowl, Todd Zoller does a fantastic job. I highly recommend it. Anyone or everyone that you know plays in fantasy, Todd does a great job with projections. Uh, baseball HQ. Uh, a lot of times, I'll have my idea I'll try and put an uh, average of those projections, and I'll see. What do I think, you know, can this guy beat this projection? Where is he going? Who's the other players, you know, maybe a round or two later that offer that pretty much the same stat line that that guy has? You know, he can give me the same thing, whether it be the same position or not. I'm not a person that's tied to uh, – positions early on in the draft, you know, the only position I think you have to be cognizant of is pitching. So I'll go, what I like to do for pitching, the number one tool for me, the first thing I look at with pitching is uh, strikeout percentage minus walk percentage. That's the first one, you know, then I want to go to, you know, 
when I'm looking at certain guys, I'm always going to pull up Brooks uh, baseball. I want to see what pitches they throw, you know, how often they throw these pitches, what whiffs and stuff, which ones did they get rid of, addition by subtraction. Again, I think that's one of the biggest, you know, things you can spot for a pitcher. And it can be helpful to you. Uh, and as far as hitters go, I want to know plate discipline first. You know, I know everybody's selling out for power. But which guys consistently have plate discipline? And then I, I'll go on to say baseball savant. Okay, this guy's got great plate discipline. He hits the ball really hard. You know, I'm just trying to give a basic, you know, uh, primer. He hits the ball hard. The exit velocity is there. You know, so and those are just basic, I think, things to start with. Uh, and I'm not going to sit there and do every projection by myself. But I am going to immerse myself. It's a very – what I do is a very tedious process. You know, I'm going to be 47 years old. I'm not like this – Whiz on Excel. I can use Excel on a, on a remedial fashion, but, you know, I do it enough for it to make me work and m make myself good. But, uh, you know, and if you have, you know, if there's somebody that you really like what they say or their way of doing it works well with you, then th that's a good thing. It's just my point is you can't be listening to everybody because at some point it's going to become noise and you're just going to tune out. So just inferring something when you talked about how you evaluate pitchers, are you, I'm going to jump to the, I'm going to jump to my question without explaining it. Are you in on Andrew Heaney? Because, uh, because of what oh, you said. Look, I, I try and get Heaney last year. I think I had him around a top 40 starting pitcher. I think he has a lot of, uh, there's a lot of goodness in that left arm. If it could ever, you know, stay, stay, on, stay on his shoulder, also, not yeah. fall off. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he's becoming cheaper and cheaper because he's unable to do that. So now if I build up, if I get some guys that, you know, maybe everybody doesn't love, but I, I think Zach Wheeler starting to throw innings, not in the best ballpark. But, you know, I'm getting some guys in rounds that I know or like, you know, that, that Mike Miner guy that I know is going to probably give me 200 innings now. He's building up to that round too. I don't love, but everybody else, you know, Sometimes you got to take certain guys for certain roles, and then and Andrew Heaney isn't as bad. Or if you want to gamble more, say on a Luke Weaver. I really like Luke Weaver, but he only pitched two innings. I know we got on the mound, but he only pitched two innings last year. So if I have a Luke Weaver and say I combine him with a Cole Hamels, you know, I'm feeling a lot better because Cole Hamels was pitching extremely well this year. He got hurt, came back way too soon. He just was never the same pitcher. I'm not saying Hamels is going to be great, but I don't think Hamels is going to be the pitcher he was in the second half of the season. And just so everyone knows, I was asking about Heaney because his K walk um, percentage was up there with all of the elite pitchers. Like there's a list of like 20 or so pitchers that are all like top draft choices. And he was, uh, he, he sort of sticks out amongst them. So that, that was, that's the reason I was asking. About yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, you, I'm, I'm sure you, you knew that, but, yes, but I'm, I think that's great that you pointed that out. And, like, what round is Heaney going? Like, the 16th? Uh, I think he's going, like, almost to, like, in the late 180s, 190s-ish. Okay. So, even if he's going, say, 14th, 15th, somewhere in that range, you know, if you have a couple of, you know, arms that, you know, you, you're pretty confident. If you really – you have to look at projections realistically. So, if you have some arms, if you have, say, guys that you have that foundation piece or three guys that can – 
literally throw 200 innings each. I've done it the last year or two. Then as you continue to go on to fill in the rotation, you can take more shots on guys. You know, you can't be drafting guys that have been throwing 150 and 160 innings and then take shots on guys, you know, that we're not sure of, you know. I don't think, like, you know, you can take a Luke Weaver if you don't have that foundation. Yeah, that makes sense. Mike, do you have anything else you want to no. – no, this is exactly. I think I think this is. I think what he did, and I like to ask analysts what you know their process is because I think that really helps get an idea. Because again, people just sometimes they just want to know where to start on their own, as far as on their own. And I know most people listening to this podcast probably have their own ways of doing things mm-hmm. or listen to us and follow our advice. But some might be interested in just going their own route. So I always try to get other people's perspective on what they recommend doing. So that's all I wanted to make sure I touched on before we got out of here. Well, I think Matt, you consider yourself a high stakes player, right? Do you, do you consider yourself an analyst? Because I know you've you've that's that's your description. Look, I I give you take the data. You, you take the data. You analyze it. Stuff, but I want. I am a high stakes player that writes for the Athletic. Does a podcast on the Athletic. When I was on say FNTSY, and I was giving it, everything I'm doing is coming from the high stakes perspective. If if I'm investing in stocks and all that. I want to know what what uh, Jimmy uh, what Warren most of Jimmy what Warren Buffett is buying. I mean, maybe I can't buy a million shares or two million shares like he's doing, but if I can buy a hundred shares or something, or you know, I want to hear what other people you know that I, I know are good or have skin in the game what they're doing. I just put that perspective out there. And look, if you're if you want to be an industry person and play in expert leagues and that makes you happy, then do that. There's no reason to be have a negative bias against the NFFC, NFBC. I mean, look, if you're playing in TGFBI, you're playing in an NFBC <laughs> format, okay? Yeah. That's basically you're playing an NF. You're playing a main event without the downside of losing the money. You're not getting the reward of winning that capital, but you are getting the reward of the acclaim amongst your peers and all that. So if you like to play in TGFBI, I would suggest maybe, you know, checking out an NFB Satellite League or the Rotowire Online 300, uh, I think it's $350. There's about 3,000 people that play in that. So, like, in the draft we did over the weekend, Zach, I'm going to change it up. I'll probably do two all year. That one, you know, I, I didn't take a picture for the first five rounds. I never not do that. And if you've noticed in these drafts, these 150s, I'm doing things out of my comfort zone. I know what I want to do, but right now I want to make some experiments. So come March, I know, you know, what what did I try out? What works best for me? That's all. Yeah, I like to try different things too. I want to get your advice on one more thing before we let sure. you go. Tonight I'm talking to uh, Mike Masoto, and I heard uh, he's uh, he's got he's got a quite per, quite a personality. Any advice? I don't know if you know who that is. Um, oh, I know. I'm I know who Mike Masato is. Okay. <laughs> Any advice for me? Uh, he is known as the MTM Mike the Mouth, uh, and you know he's a very nice guy in person. He could be a little much, you know, on message boards or Twitter. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, I, I think you'll have. Uh, yeah, he's gonna, you know. Claim to be the greatest, probably, but you know, not the case. But he'll he'll do it. But uh, you know, just ask him how he's been playing. You know, what 
he does to prepare. And I think you'll get, you know, a different perspective on things. So, you know, it's it probably going to be different than what I do. And I play against Mike in weeks, too. So I, I think you'll have fun. Just he's going to come off, I'm assuming. He has the persona of the MTM that I mentioned. And then there's Mike Masato, the guy. They're two different people. So yeah, you're talking about the, the poker player? Uh, it's depending upon uh, which one shows up on your podcast. <laughs> but I, well, we'll I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be entertaining. He's definitely fun, entertaining, and opinionated. So uh, I think you book. I I think you're in for for a for a good time. Put it that yeah, way. just going back and forth in, with him on uh, Twitter. I, I I think I've mentally prepared myself for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, ready to wrap it up, Mike. I'm good with that. Am I doing okay. it? Am I doing the pleasures as always? Yeah, you, I, I want to pass. Yeah. I got this. Can I, got I just, this great can I just say thank you guys for having me on, uh, allowing me to uh, talk about some topics that I want to get off my chest. I think what you guys are doing is fantastic. You know, uh, keep it up. And, you know, well, good luck to you this year. And I hope it's a very successful 2020. I don't know. I don't know if I can be as nice on the way out now, but thank you so much for the kind <laughs> words. Um, for those who don't know, I'm trying to pull up your Twitter handle so I can say it for you. Cause I'm CTM trying to baseball. Yes. So for those who don't know, you can follow Matt Modica on Twitter at CTM baseball. That's CTM B A S E B A L L. I've, I just want to make sure I clarify it. I messed of all up. All things you're going to spell out, it's going to be that. Yes, because <laughs> last night, last night with Bubba, I, I think I think there's a little bit of like PTSD going on because of Bubba last night. I was looking at his Twitter. I was spelling it out. And I still misspelled it while looking at it. So you know what? I'm practicing. I immediately regret handing over the closing to you. <laughs> yeah. So in all seriousness, guys, uh, you can follow Matt Modica at CTM Baseball, Zach at Zach Roto, myself at Mike underscore Curlin. You can follow the podcast page on Twitter at Jeff at Draft Champagne. And as always, guys, we appreciate you listening and we will talk to you soon.